because in the end, even if you're going um, down a path that would generally make, you know, someone else a lot of money, if you don't enjoy it, like you're not going to be good at it. So you're not going to make money out of it. You know what I mean? Animator Ana Ramirez has a life story with some fascinating, unexpected parallels to that of Miguel, the protagonist in Pixar's Coco, which just brought home Best Animated Feature and Best Original Song Oscars. I'm Moises Chuyan, and on this episode of Electric Shadow, I talk with Ana Ramirez about her journey as a creative artist going back to childhood and working on Coco, as well as the accompanying children's book Miguel and the Grand Harmony. We also explore our mutual experiences with rejecting labels and stereotypes while at once later embracing our cultural background in a way that informs everything about the person we hope people will remember when we're gone. If you've already seen the movie, you know that you don't have to be part of the Latinx diaspora to understand or enjoy Coco. The only requirements are that you've had someone in your life that you love and care for who also loved and cared or continues to love and care about you. In a studio canon like Pixar's, I hope it says something that I find it to be among the most profound and powerfully sentimental movies the studio's made, and if you ask me, it's far and away one of their best films. I know, that claim is bold and melodramatic, just like that suspense accent from the score. If you've avoided Coco because you don't think that you can relate to it, I promise you can, and it'll leave you with tears in your eyes, but only so long as you open your heart wide and let it in. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I've got good news because this episode of Electric Shadow doesn't spoil anything. The other good news I have is that you should stay through to the end of the credits when you do see the movie. You should do the same thing for this episode of the podcast, too, because there's something at the end of the credits, a tease for a second episode of Electric Shadow coming out this week that also features someone who grew up in Mexico, and I'll leave it at that. Longtime listeners will know that Electric Shadow is back after far too long of a hiatus, and just as that wouldn't be possible without listeners like you, it wouldn't be possible without the support of Text Expander, which cut the time it took to script this episode in half, if not cut it down by two-thirds, to be honest. This month's presenting sponsor of Electric Shadow is Text Expander from Smile. Text Expander. Communicate faster, smarter, and better. Find out how later in the show. I spoke with Ana Ramirez last fall at the Art Institute of Austin, and before we sat down, Ana gave a talk for Art Institute students, and one of the most interesting things she had to say that we didn't also cover in some respect or another one-on-one was what a day in her life working at Pixar is like. I wake up at 9, get to work at 9.15, so I just like get up and put my clothes in it. Here I am, new day. Um, I live really close to work, and I'm really bad like at waking up early. <laughs> Um, a lot of people wake up like at six and do Tai Chi at work and stuff. And I'm just like, how, how do you do it? It's great. Um, so yeah, I get there around 9.15, 9.30. Um, I get coffee or breakfast and then I go to my desk and check my emails. And if there's like urgent emails, I do that first and then like send them whatever they need. Um, and then usually like we, we get assignments on Fridays or Mondays. So it's either at the end of the or the beginning of the week. So then they tell us, like, you know, the, the director and the production designer and our art manager work together uh, on assignments. So after a pitch, they'll know what they're going to give me, you know. So then they'll be like, the, we decided to give you this character or, like, this set. So you have, like, you know, your deadline is in three weeks or whatever. So then I get a model if there is one. And if there isn't one, then I just get the name of the assignment and like the specifications. So then I'll do research. Um, one day, some days it's like all about research. And all I do is look for photos. 
Like that's all I do all day and like go to meetings and reply to emails. Some days I just draw. Like if what I'm doing is like concept stuff, then I just like go to my drafting table and like draw for like a whole day. And sometimes I do a little bit of everything if it's like really, really crazy. Um, and sometimes I just like sit on my computer and do like, you know, model packets or just like shading on Photoshop and like look at renders and stuff like that. Uh, and then I go home sometimes, most days I go home around seven. So we get out at six, but I leave around seven because I get there a little later. And when there's a lot of work, I stay as late as like 1 a.m. or 10. Like it just depends on how busy we are. On Coco, we stayed, I stayed late all the time, especially my first year. Like I just wanted to like prove myself and be like hard worker, you know. So I would stay really late and work weekends, but that was my choice. No one asked me to do that. Like that was just like me wanting to like go the extra mile. But then like now in my new project, uh, I'm in a new movie. So like that one's way more relaxed because it's like very early on. We're trying to figure out the story and the characters. So like I get there like at 9.30 and leave by 5.30 because there's not that much to do. So it just depends on, on your assignment and the show. Right toward the end of the talk, she discussed what it's like being in the United States as someone on a working visa uh, without a green card, and especially following an Academy Awards telecast replete with discussion of the important contributions of immigrants and dreamers, what she had to say about her practical experience and the people that work around her at Pixar. She's not uh, just one person. There are a lot of people that help make movie magic happen that it wouldn't be possible without that are not here as people who were born here, who grew up here. I would say like what has kind of affected some of my opportunities has been not having a green card because I'm on a work visa and back then I was on a student visa. So when you apply for jobs, no one wants to hire you sometimes because you're not or I wasn't good, but sometimes because they don't want to sponsor you. So in that way, I felt like that was like a very, very negative thing for me. But, you know, some studios are awesome about it. Like I feel like Cartoon Network's really good about it. Disney, all of Disney is very good about it. Like, Pixar's great, you know, about it. So some studios don't care, but some do. And it's the ones that do that I'm like, oh, that's that sucks. Because, like, you know, these people can't apply to those studios because they need a visa. And, you know, it's expensive for a studio. So in that case, I think it did. But, like, language-wise and stuff, not so much. Because I think it's more about your portfolio and your work than, like, whether you can communicate with words you know yeah there's a few people at Pixar who don't speak like who speak very little English and they still work there because their work says it says everything before we sit down for the full one-on-one -on -one chat that I did with Anna I should mention that this episode of Electric Shadow is brought to you by the wonderful people at Mac Weldon revolutionizing men's basics in ways that just make sense now there are a lot of these internet startups that have just one thing that they're known for. And most of what people know Mack Weldon for is underwear. They were really big on just pitching themselves as just an underwear brand, socks at first. And since launching, they've expanded out big time. Uh, undershirts, overshirts. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing multiple types of Mack Weldon gear literally as we speak. An undershirt, uh, a, a Vesper polo shirt where the collar lays flat, irons flat really easily. It's very comfortable, very soft. I find myself wearing this thing very often uh, because it is so comfortable and because it holds up so well in the wash. They use the kinds of fabrics that aren't going to itch, that aren't going to scratch, that aren't going to chafe, that are going to 
make sure that you feel comfortable throughout the entire day. Whether you're looking at underwear, socks, undershirts, hoodies, uh, long sleeve t-shirts that are great in this bizarre climate that we have now across the U.S. where you leave your house and you need long sleeves and you come home and you need short sleeves. Their Pima Cotton long sleeve t-shirts are amazing. Their zip up hoodies are amazing. Their sweatpants are fantastic. I use their active wear uh, because I started training in martial arts again for fitness and it's great. You, you feel comfortable all day regardless of what level of activity you have and in what way. Go to MacWeldon.com. They have a 100% customer satisfaction guarantee, so if you don't like the stuff, just send it back. No questions asked. Go to MacWeldon.com. Pick one thing. Pick one thing that you want to just completely wholesale replace. Just do a point of no return kind of a thing. Throw out your entire underwear drawer. Throw out all of your socks. Throw out all of your undershirts. Just get a pack of stuff. Save 20% using the offer code ELECTRIC. And let me know. Let me know that I was right, because I know, I know that I'm right. Thanks again to Mac Weldon, and here is Ana Ramirez. So Ana, you, you grew up in Guanajuato, Guanajuato City, or just the state of Guanajuato? The state of Guanajuato. Okay. I'm from León. You're from León? León, Guanajuato. Okay, there we go. Yes. So what, growing up, what, what, were you, what were you a fan of? What did you geek out about? What did you love as a fan? I mean, were you into ice music? Skating. Ice skating. Music. Ice skating, music. What got you into ice skating? My mom. <laughs> yeah. I started ice skating when I was six, so I, I don't think I had much of a choice. <laughs> I just like started doing it, and then I just did it mindlessly for years until I was 15 or so. And they closed the only ice rink there was in Leon, so then I couldn't do it. And that's when I like started looking for other things to do. <laughs> <laughs> when looking for other things to do, other things to entertain yourself with. I mean, was it was it TV? Was it movies? Books? You know, what, what did you what did you gravitate to? All of that, yeah. I played uh, soccer. Football, soccer. Mm -hmm. Football, no, that's yeah, the yeah. correct word. <laughs> Football. <laughs> yeah, for um, for all of high school, and then I started taking music lessons. I had taken music lessons before. I tried playing the piano when I was little, but I just like never got good at it. So I gave it a second chance when I was fifteen, and I had nothing to do. I guess I was just so used to being at the ice rink for like half of my day. I would go there right after school and just practice and like be with my friends there like until you know 10 p.m or something so it was like a big changing point in my life and it was really weird to like not see my friends anymore and have to make real friends at school <laughs> um so then I started getting into like sports at school and I started like reading a little bit more and getting into film a lot like I would just go to Blockbuster at the time and like pick any movie that looked weird and interesting to me and I don't think my mom ever knew what I was renting because like she couldn't see the cover <laughs> so I would like be renting all these like weird like John Waters movies and I'm like this I, is like an know, anime Pink Flamingos yeah no yeah, you can yeah, go yeah. like what, what, what else Pink were you Pink Flamingos I love Pink Flamingos I love like you know Coen Brothers I loved um, uh, like I don't know Vincent Price at the time like a lot of horror movies like I watched what like were some all... of the Vincent Price movies that you liked I, you know I met Vincent Price or I knew of Vincent Price through Tim Burton yeah because he used him in like what was it his... Edward Scissorhands Edward Scissorhands and didn't he narrate the, the like Frank and Weenie Frank short. and Weenie yeah. short yeah so then like that's how I found out I loved like campy horror films in like before high school I like really loved the first like Tim Burton stuff Mm -hmm. Which is like kind of funny to say now, because now it's become like such a hot topic icon that yeah. you're just like, eh, no one likes him anymore. But I really liked him back then. I thought he was really cool, like the stuff he was doing back then. I love like 
I don't know, Rosemary's Baby and uh, Psycho and like Hitchcock films and um, some like, you know, foreign films like uh, Let the Right One In mm -hmm. was one of my favorites back then too. Um, yeah, mostly horror films like foreign and like uh, American films. And um, I love fashion, but not just like the fashion that's like, you know, on like Snapchat or whatever. Like I yeah. love like watching like, I don't know, like... Um, the woman from Comme des Garçons. But yeah, like fashion, like Rei Kawakubo, it's like very inspiring stuff, you know. Um, what is it about her her design sensibility that, that attracts you? What is it that makes her stand out? I like her because she, she's not designing things for anyone specifically. Like her clothing and like the stuff that she designs is pretty genderless, which is really cool. I like that she's um, not designing for, you know, things that like are form-fitting and like mm. you know that you know give women cleavage and like look their butts look really big you know or whatever it's just like uh it's more just like art uh like fine art and like you know like almost like performance art or something i just saw one of her shows at the met in new york um this past summer and it was really cool it was awesome because she had all these like different little stations and they all had themes like there was like one that was based on like uh, female Japanese samurais. And that was really cool. And then there was one that was based on like brides. And, but it's all distorted and like, you know, lack of, it's, it lacks shape. So it's not anything anyone would wear in real life. <laughs> and she has like her own like brand called Gom de Gason. And like, that's also kind of genderless. And I feel like she has that brand to get money so she can do her art. And that's like the other costume stuff that she does. And it's awesome. I really like that. Um, I love like graphic design and, you know, like poster design from like the 50s and the 70s and 60s. Like the Polish posters are really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of illustrators who kind of like work with uh, uh, graphic design, but also illustration. Um, you know, I love like. Sasek and I love like Ludwig Bemelmans, uh who illustrated Madeline and I love like all of the New Yorker designers from the 50s um, like who was uh, Ray, uh, the guy who designed the Adams family Charles Adams yeah yeah like he's awesome <laughs> he was like a, a cartoonist for the New Yorker and then he came up with the idea of like the Adams family uh, and it started as a comic for a newspaper it's like so cool and like I love Sampe, um French uh cartoonist for the New Yorker too and then he ended up like just doing his own books and like illustration work and it's really really beautiful um and you know I love like fine art paintings like I don't know Gauguin and like Matisse and I love their work because it's very expressive um and Egon Schiel too it's very cool it's just so like kind of like it's so expressive like they're not trying to make something look very nice and like very technical it's more just about like you know feeling and expression and like color and i love that so uh, the, one of the wonderful things that you talked about in your talk was uh was your your attraction to like new yorker cartoons matisse the expressiveness of, of art um and i'm uh, it's something that i see in in the art that you showed us in there that's in the children's book there's there's definitely that influence of like a Charles Adams cartooning background and 
the 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 almost a, a sensibility of typography as it applies to the art you know you, you're not like you're not doing art that's cut out in wood blocks like letters being you know put through a letterpress or something but there is that kind of hand wrought you know this stuff lives on paper this stuff came you know out of somebody's hands not connected to a mouse but to a pencil to a pen to to a paintbrush that kind of thing is that is that what you felt the most drawn to when your mom convinced you to do this line art class in high school Yes. So it wasn't line. It wasn't a line drawing class. It was a life drawing class. Life drawing. Yeah. Okay. So we had. Um. I think that. Mo- yeah. They. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Uh. Uh. We. He, she took me to a life drawing class, and the first class that I took was model based. So we just like look at the naked model up there, you know, and then like draw the model, and it was really cool. And I think something that I found very cool and interesting and like exciting was the fact that like. I went into this class and like no one was like saying anything about the fact that there was a naked person in front of me, you know, and that's what that's when I was like, oh, these people are serious, you know, and I was like super excited about that because I feel like, I don't know, especially in like the community that I grew up in, like everyone would just not accept a lot of things, you know. Somebody with their clothes off, this is terrible. Yeah, so I was just like, this is so cool. Um but I think I did love just working with charcoal and like getting my hands dirty and like having paint in my hands. And I was like, I just want to experiment with this and smudge it and see what happens, you know, which is something that doesn't often happen when you work digitally. So as much as I can, I try to always draw by hand on paper and well, of course, by hand, but like I always try to draw um, with real, you know, traditional medium on paper and paint and, you know, charcoal and you know graphite or you know as much as I can because that's what makes me happy like I love sometimes using photoshop and it's great and it's like fast and it's easier sometimes but like I feel like it doesn't quite communicate what I it doesn't it doesn't quite translate and and it doesn't always help me communicate what I want to communicate because I take longer sometimes trying to come up with all these textures digitally when it it could be so much easier to just like do it on paper. Yeah, it would come out in the flaw, the flaws of 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 handwrought work. Yeah, but I think for sure, like taking that class, that's when I like found out that that's like kind of what I wanted to do. And I think in a way, just like the fact that I started drawing later, uh, kept me away from like a lot of like drawing stereotypes that are like um, very uh, predominant right now. You know, it's just like that. You're very... not trying to match your style to what is happening. You're yeah. finding your style and sticking with that. Yeah. Like, I think that there's a lot of shows that kind of influence the way that people draw right now, like people my age. And that's really cool. Um, but it's very obvious when, you know, that's the case. And I didn't grow up drawing those characters or anything. So I feel like in a way I feel lucky that I kind of stood, you know, stayed away from that in that. I was able to discover drawing a little bit later because I could just focus on what I was interested in at that time, which was, you know, these uh, examples that I gave you earlier, like, you know, New Yorker cartoonists and like fine artists who just were very expressive. So I think I kind of owe it, owe it to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, you I, I grew up in Texas, you grew up in Guanajuato. We have, uh, I, I guess, culturally, there's a lot of things in common, you know, in, in kind of a a place where life drawing just seems like a strange thing to do. Yeah. Um, 
you know, your your dad was a shoemaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you have that in common with Miguel from Coco. Um, uh, yeah. You know, do do you feel like growing up, you had that support from your family, from the people around you, to do something artistic and do something different, or or was it something that you found your way to? Um, uh, by accident, were you already being encouraged in the direction of just you know doing doing where your dreams took you? Um, yes and no. Like I feel, I feel like when I wanted to like be a musician, I didn't feel as supported back then. Like looking looking back now, I'm like, yeah, of course they supported me because they wouldn't have been paying for those lessons had they not wanted me to learn. You know. Um, but I think once they saw that, like, I took lessons for years and I wasn't improving, that's when they were like, okay, buddy, you know, time to move (laughs) on and try something else. So I actually feel very lucky because my mom's the one who suggested I took my, my first drawing class. Um, whereas like some of my friends who wanted to go into a creative field, uh, were told no by their parents and, you know, they had to kind of like pick something else to do, but I'm like, that doesn't make sense because in the end, even if you're going um, down a path that would generally make, you know, someone else a lot of money, if you don't enjoy it, like you're not going to be good at it. So you're not going to make money out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I guess some people are good at stuff they don't enjoy, but it's always better when you do it and enjoy it. So I'm like, it doesn't matter what you do. Like there is a lot of opportunity there are a lot of opportunities and there are a lot of jobs in the creative fields you know like drawing and painting and like music and stuff it's just like a matter of like doing it and working hard towards that goal until you like get there um but yeah i do feel very lucky that my parents were always very supportive in everything that i did um but i'm also very aware that it's not the case for everyone so you know i feel like parents out there should try to be more supportive to their kids and and listen to them i did feel at a point that like i didn't really have a lot of credibility because growing up i wasn't like an you know a student or anything i was pretty average i wasn't a bad student but i was a i I always feel like i have like undiagnosed add or something just because like it was so hard for me to focus in school and i had to read everything like two or three times because it just wouldn't stick now he's like, what's wrong with me? Like, I want to get better, but, like, I just can't seem to focus and, like, you know, learn things as fast as, like, other people. And I think part of it is, like, that creative side of me was there and, like, everyone just learns so differently, you know? Like, some people learn by, like, doing activities, like, kinetic education. And, like, mm-hmm. some people learn by, like, reading stuff. Some people lo- learn by, like, looking at images. And I'm very bad at learning things with just facts and like they tell me something because that's the way that it happened and there's no explanation, you know? So it's like every time for math, like I was very bad at math and science and stuff because I'd ask a lot of questions and I'd be like, why is this like this? Why is this formula like this? And they'd be like, because, because, you know, like that's the way that it's on the book. So I'm like, I don't understand. And like, I would be very bad at it because I just didn't understand why. Um, so I was always average and like, um, I would fail some subjects, but do really well at others. Um, so, you know, yeah, average student. And then, uh, when I wanted to go to CalArts, that was like something kind of new, but I had already like, you know, I don't know. I was kind of a rebel growing up and like in high school and like my parents just like thought that I was like just saying 
things to say to them and like that I wasn't sure of what I wanted to do and they thought that I was like you know very rebellious so like when I was like I want to go to CalArts even though my mom encouraged me to draw they're like well you know your friend Alonso's going there and he's drawn his whole life and it's the school of Disney and I feel like they kind of didn't believe that I would be able to get in because I didn't have that background um and they never told me that but I could tell you know yeah you can like, read it off of them yeah I, I I got that vibe all the time where like they would just be like uh-huh yeah like just keep drawing you know but like I could tell that it like they just didn't think that I would and then I kept asking my dad like can I go study abroad and he's like well you have to get in first but it's because like he didn't think that I would and then once I got in he's like what 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 like what <laughs> <laughs> what did I agree to yeah what yeah exactly what did I agree to you're gonna go how far away yeah and then um yeah and then I did and it was fine and like they have been so supportive all the way and like done so much for me and I, of course it's because like they believe in me well, there's so many different areas that you can focus in at an art school from that point that you knew that you wanted to go to CalArts, that you went and ended up going to ESMA and then ended up going to CalArts after that. Did you know that you wanted to go specifically into animation or was that one of a few different options that you were thinking might be possible? Was, was that focus already there or did you find your way to it? I think I just kind of became obsessed with the idea of going into animation because once I found out about CalArts, I started looking at all the student work that was coming out of CalArts and it was like so inspiring like I remember looking at like Lorelai Bobet's films and you know it's very like Mary Blair and like beautiful and like traditional painting you know she like did it all with gouache and I was like this is so beautiful like how does anyone do this and then I saw a lot of like other films that were just like really funny even though their art was like not my favorite but they were great stories you know and like I don't know I just like was so like shocked by the fact that anyone 18 or 19 could do something like that at school you know and I was like wow you're you're going to school to draw like you're literally just making cartoons um so that's I just like wanted to draw and I thought that's what I would do but of course once I got there like it's a film school so I wasn't just like learning how to make cartoons and draw because no one teaches you how to draw like once you get there you're just like in film school so then um you know I then later gravitated towards theater and film mostly and I was of course like making animated films films but I was very interested in like you know the you know Disney Imagineering like I mm -hmm. think for my first two years I was like I want to build stuff like I want to work in set design and make cool stuff you know and then I worked I like took stop motion classes and I loved like the puppet fabrication part of it and like building sets like that was always so fun for me because it's very hands-on you're like moving around and like building stuff with your hands um, and then I took like a lighting class for theater I took cello at school. I took like African dance and African song. <laughs> and that was so cool. I took costume design and I learned how to sew. And I was working for theater production, like helping out people who were studying costume design. So then I would help them sew stuff. And that was like uh, like an independent study. So I got to do it three hours a, a week, which was enough for me, you know, to do that. And like, I don't know, like all that stuff ended up informing my practice and what I do today because I can incorporate like so much of like the theater and costume design stuff that I learned on my current job. 
um, but also like I don't know like as a student is the time when you're a student that's the time to like make mistakes and try things and like discover what you like so I knew that I was at the right place because it's this like liberal arts school and you get like all these choices and like options and we only had like a school program a, a program of fine art film program um, writing program did I say music I think so uh well it's like five things but yeah. and then like you know within like the art uh department they have graphic design but it's very like artistic and there's a lot of like screen printing and stuff and i did a lot of that too i took screen printing class it's a very complicated <laughs> uh, process but i love taking it and i lived with graphic designers three out of my four years of school so i think they got me into it and that was another part of like my inspiration i really love doing that in school and I really enjoyed graphic design. I did it on Coco and I had I said I've never done it before because like I didn't go to school for that, but maybe Harley wanted me to do it because he kind of like saw something, you know? I don't know. Well, one of the things that um, that, that you've mentioned uh, that I've read that you really, really love, in particular, you mentioned it a moment ago, is gouache. And it's radically simpler to explain <laughs> than silk screening, but yeah. what, what, what is it that you loved about working in gouache uh, it's it's a style that uh, now because of the new zelda game that's out i can go yeah it's like the look that they have in the new zelda game oh yeah um, breath of the wild breath of the wild it's so good it's so good yeah so 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 what, what what introduced you to gouache was it something that you were introduced to in class is it something that you know you were introduced to earlier on you know before you went to art school uh i so i guess like I knew of Mary Blair before I started going to school um, because I knew that she had designed like It's a Small World. Mm -hmm. And then I ran into this book called Dream Worlds. Um, was it Dream Worlds? No, I don't think it was that one. I don't know. Someone posted on their blog this like, oh, it's called The, the Art and Flair of Mary Blair. <laughs> so ah, it's like a, a book of her art. And... Um, someone like posted a few pages of her artwork and she worked on like Peter Pan like doing visual development and she worked on Cinderella and like a bunch of like Disney films and like designed that right uh it's a small world that now it's like so dated <laughs> it's still so cute um and I like I like loved her work so much and the reason why I loved it back then I think it's because she actually traveled to Mexico and South America and a lot of her work is based on that like it's like very like it looks very uh you know hispanic so i thought very colorful too it's so colorful yeah so i kind of I, when i first saw her work i thought she was like maybe like mexican or something because she had a lot of that then i realized that's like visual development work she did for the three amigos yeah. <laughs> and i'm like oh man but like i just like really really loved her work and she uses gouache for all her paintings um, so I think that's when I started to experiment with the medium. And this was before I went to school. So a lot of the paintings that I did for my portfolio were done in gouache. And at this time, you know, I was like just trying to copy everything she did because yeah. I was just like, I just loved her. And I was like, it's Disney. They will like me if I do this, you know. And of course, later I realized that's not the case. And it's like, no, if they already have Lorelei, why would they want me? <laughs> they don't want two of the same. But uh, I just kept working with the medium and kind of like, um, turn it into my own and then there's like these illustrators that uh, were a couple and worked together Alice and Martin Provinson they're like amazing and they were like my main inspiration for Coco like I really love their work because they use gouache and watercolor and ink but it's like 
very textural it's like very like handmade you know you just like can like feel and like i just like want to touch the texture and like that's what i love it's like so expressive but like their color palettes and like everything's like so exquisite and like refined and like elegant like it's so so nice and i loved it way more than like mary blair or anything not because i don't love her work anymore but i was like this is like this is awesome you know like it just like blew me away um so you know there's all these illustrators that i really admire you know like the you know also like i mentioned the madeline book too like ludwig bemelmans did a lot of illustration work that i like really really love and he also used you know ink and gouache um a lot for you know his work and stuff so i don't know i just kind of learned to know learn learn uh that like um that's just the medium that a lot of children illustrators use and then you know i found out like some like great painters that i admire also used a lot of gouache or acrylic and stuff and i like it specifically because it dries really fast like if i use oil that takes forever like that just like you you have to wait so long you have to wait years for it to dry yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it smells and like it gives me a headache and it it looks beautiful but i just like don't have the unless you have a well ventilated room yeah it's literally a headache it's true yeah and i think i also like my attention spans really short and like I'm so impatient with everything, that's why I'm bad at cooking, because I just burn everything. Because I'm like high heat, because I want <laughs> this to cook fast. So I, I gouache is like awesome because of it just dries so fast. Um, and watercolor too. I think those two are my favorite. I've discovered watercolor is like maybe my new favorite in charcoal. So maybe I'll do more work with that. Yeah, just like exploring new mediums that are easy and fast to use. Up next on Electric Shadow, Anna talks about embracing her culture and looking at it as something other than a reason that people think she unfairly got to where she is. This episode of Electric Shadow is also brought to you by Text Expander, now available for Windows, Mac, and iOS. Text Expander helps you communicate smarter, better, and faster. Here's the thing. You create snippets for stuff that you type or you copy and paste all the time. doesn't matter what it is. Email addresses, uh, words, alebrije, Guanajuato, um, Dia de los Muertos to fit with the theme of Coco. Doesn't matter. It can be that short or it can be long. Let's say that you give people directions to an address all the time, but GPS takes them clear to the other side of creation and you end up having to give people manual directions anyway. You can store that in Text Expander. Uh, Website addresses. I find myself typing a bunch of the same website addresses or beginning of same website addresses a whole lot. I've got individual website addresses as well as templates for entire posts that I put into the podcast feed stored in Text Expander. What it allows me to do is just type a quick abbreviation and it expands it out to whatever size of snippet I put together. Doesn't matter what it is. If you're regularly answering the same question the same way, if you're sending stuff to prospective clients, to people who are joining an organization, you name it, you're good with Text Expander. The snippets are stored in any app on the Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad using that abbreviation, using uh, that hotkey while you're typing. It'll just bring them up for you. Text Expander will save you time. I've been using it for years. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast. Let them know that you heard about them here on Electric Shadow and save 20% off of your first year. Thanks to them for sponsoring this episode of Electric Shadow as well as this whole month of the show. Now back to Ana Ramirez from Pixar. As an actor, when I was an actor, before I retired, I yeah. just unretired, <laughs> um, I ran away from uh, from my own culture and being typecast as 
the Cuban guy or, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Chinese Cuban guy or, you know, the, the weird mixed guy that nobody could tell what he is, who, you know, has an oh, accent yeah. or whatever. Um, and you mentioned that in, in your portfolio and, and the way that you presented yourself, you worried about being, um, being tight. And, and did yeah. you, you, did you find yourself very directly running away from being classified as, oh, this is the Mexican artist with a Mexican style and that is, is that something that you found yourself very actively doing? Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, I didn't actually think that until I got that internship. And then, like, I feel like a lot of people were like, oh, she just got it because, like, she's Mexican, you know? Yeah, they give you the, oh, she's the she's the diversity hire. She's the, yeah. you know. Yeah, like, she they, she just got it, exactly. Yeah. But I'm like, It's not well, that she's talented. It's not that she's amazing. Yeah, but yeah. it's like, there's so many Mexicans in the world in, you know, maybe not working at those companies, but, like, in animation, like, they could have picked other people you know and like there were a few at Kellards that are super equal you know so talented and more talented than me and so I don't know I think it was just like timing and luck of course but it's like of course it has to do with your work too you know and like that's something that I didn't understand back then and I was like yeah it's probably the only reason like just because I'm Mexican but that's fine you know I'll prove them wrong um but then once I was on the project, it ended up being like my secret weapon because I ended up getting a lot more exposure on this film because I'm Mexican and because I was able to kind of like exploit that, you know, at Pixar and just like use that towards my advantage. So it's like if this is why I'm here, you know, quote unquote, like um, then I'm going to make the best of that, you know, and like try to use it toward, to my advantage as much as I can so that's what I did (laughs) but but now that Coco's out of course I'm like you know I still feel the same way like it's like oh yeah Anna's like you know Anna did well because she was like one of like I was the only Mexican on the art department well it's like like taking high school Spanish the you know the the gringo kids were like well that's not fair you're already bilingual (laughs) That's, yeah, you know it's not fair. How how dare you? I'm like, well, look, you guys have advantages in other areas. Yeah, you know this is mine. This is my one thing that I get. It's true, and it's not your fault. It, no. You know, it's like you just like happen to fall into that position, and and like for one thing or the other, and like that's those are just the circumstances. But like, yeah, I feel like I I felt afraid of that at some point, and like, what if after Coco, I don't get to stay at Pixar because this is all I was hired to do and this is really all I can do and like I have to go find another job about you know on a project that's like about Mexico or like Latin culture or something you know and then I actually got like two uh two people two publishers wrote me before Coco came out asking me to illustrate books for them um but they were all about you know Latina characters and like uh, based in one, one was based in Guatemala and the other one was based in Peru, and then I'm like, this is cool. And like, w- the Peruvian one was like not even Peruvian. Like she was just kind of this ambiguous character. And they're like, well, we're just trying to represent Latin America. And I'm like, okay, but where is she from? And she, you know, she, they w- wouldn't tell me. They're like, she's ambiguous. And I'm like, where is she based? Like that's not authentic, you know? It's like, so anyway, I. I turn those down because I'm like, if I just keep making these kinds of projects, that's all I'm ever going to get to do. And of course, like, I would love to keep doing that because we need more representation, right? And like, I want to keep making things that will promote, you know, 
how beautiful my culture is and stuff but at the same time like that's not all I can do so I turned those down and eventually you know I got offered an, a different project and I got put in a different project at Pixar that's not about anything related to like Latin America or like where I'm from or anything and I'm just like a normal artist there which makes me really happy you know because it's like Oh, phew, finally, yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Pixar is kind of the United Nations of talented people, like... Yeah, Pixar is very progressive. I'm, yeah. I'm very happy to be there. They're all about inclusivity and, like, they're doing a very conscious effort right now to, like, balance things out, you know, in terms of, like, gender and, you know, in terms of, like, ethnicity and stuff. And, of course, that's not going to change in one week or a year, but, like, they're really trying to accelerate the, you know, process of these things... Um, of they're trying to accelerate the process of of um, uh, diversity and inclusion, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Of how, of, of I'm how thinking, fast this I'm happens. thinking in Spanish too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm like, uh. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So then I'm very happy that that's not the case, and that now I'm on a different project where I feel, you know, very scared, but also like kind of comfortable because mm-hmm. I'm like I learned a lot in Coco and. It makes me. It gives me kind of peace on peace of mind to know that's not the only reason why they hired me and like, you know, they decided to keep me after Coco, because at Pixar they hire you for every sh- for a show specifically. Mm-hmm. So when you first start your run of show, so that means that you do have like a normal contract with benefits and stuff, but you're not full time. You just like get to be, uh, on that show that you were hired for until it's done, and then we'll see. You know, some people leave, some people stay. So. I was like, I might just have to, you know, they might fire me after this, but they're like, no, we totally like want to keep you and stuff. But it's really hard to stay away from stereotypes and being like typecast. And a lot of people deal with that. So many people deal with that. Like I have a friend who's an illustrator in Friends and he works from home, but he gets hired to do a lot of illustration for the U.S. And all they ever ask him to do is like French inspired art, you Mm -hmm. know, and he's like, well, I it's cool because it's familiar, but like, I want to do something else, you know? So I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. So it's kind of hard, but you just kind of have to pick and choose your projects. And at some point turn something really awesome down just to avoid, keep doing that. Before you left for art school, did, did you feel like you embraced your culture or you, or you ran away from it a little bit? I mean, you, you were, you were into, uh, Tim Burton stuff. You were into, uh, you know, uh, John Waters stuff. You were, you, you were, it's it's not like you were you were just only watching Guillermo del Toro movies. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like true. W- w- did did you feel like it, it was something that that working on Coco made you look deeper into your own background and culture than you already did? Yes, definitely. I think uh, I really loved Alfonso Cuarón, and I think the mm. reason why I loved his work was because it wasn't like the very typical stereotypical Solo Mexican. Con tu pareja, yeah, like yeah. I um I liked uh my sister and I loved the little princess growing up mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and then um then he like went on and like made a lot of awesome films after that but you know it wasn't like the the typical like a day in Mexico f- you know a day filled with violence and guns you know it was and like dust blowing through the air yeah exactly yeah. this was like completely different and just like very different worlds based in different settings with like different actors you know from other places so. That was very cool because I'm like, wow, like a Mexican can like do international uh, work, you know, work internationally and like make films that don't have to do 
with like how bad our country is and like oh my god it's like such a small part of mexico too like violence and guns and like drugs is like such a small part of who we are as you know a nation and i feel like it's so mexico is so culturally rich and it has so much to offer that i'm actually very surprised like no one's done a film you know about like one of our holidays or like just like a day in a, a beautiful day in like the south of mexico you know it's like yeah. there's so many beautiful places where you can just like make awesome films and like no one's ever done uh, that yeah honestly somebody could make remake monsoon wedding in mexico yeah yeah know? or anything yeah and it's like well alfonso cuaron ended up using like the mexican post office for green for green gods in harry potter yeah. like, <laughs> things <laughs> yeah, like that it's right. like yes this is like beautiful you should use it so I don't know. It's things like that that I, that I was like kind of like curious about, um, but it's never like I rejected my culture because I love it and I was so proud of it. I just like didn't want to be typecast, I guess. And then, you know, once I was in school and I made my my portfolio that third year and my fourth year, I was like, I just, am, I don't know. I think being far away from home made me miss it a lot, and I think that's when I started to be like actually like Mexico is so beautiful and like there's so much that I can pull from that that I know and it's very designy and like visually appealing and you know I started like thinking about it and like kind of studying it more and I'm like yeah like how come I never did this before you know like Guanajuato like my hometown is like one of my favorite places in the world and it's just so filled with like all these details and colors and like you know it's like a party all the time and the architecture is so so beautiful it's like this spanish colonial town um but also mixed with a with little french. bit of french sauce yeah, yeah yeah so then it's like so awesome so i don't know it's you know once i left home for a long time i think that's when i realized how how like i always knew but it just like you know it was like i don't think i felt a lot of nostalgia for it i think and I only remembered the good things and like all the beautiful parts about it. So I think that's when I started becoming more interested in it. And then once that I, you know, once I started working on Coco, of course, you know, that that grew and, and, and I was learning so much and I was like so invested in like this film and trying to make it good and like represent the, you know, our country. Is there a particular um, aspect of, of Mexican design culture that you really gravitated to enjoying working on the most, whether it was the papel picado, the embroidery on the dresses? I mean, was, was, there, was there one of those that, that was particularly rewarding or interesting or fun to work on, on Coco? Mm, I, I had a lot of fun working on the set design. I think mm -hmm. that was the most fun because then I got to do a lot of research on like well, a lot of that was the typography too, because you were doing yeah. you were doing all those signs. And yeah, everything. and the murals and stuff. But I think for sets, I had a lot of fun just kind of like exploring the small details. You know, it's like the little juice stands, or like the gordita stands, or like the fruta picada stands. You know, all all those things that like you don't often see, but they're everywhere in Mexico. You know, like I mean, you don't often see on the big screen, but like in real life, they're everywhere, and they're like the best <laughs> so I was like hungry the whole time when I was designing it um, but I think the papel picado is really really uh, important to me because I had a lot of ownership over it over it you know 
like I did. It's the first thing we see in the movie. Yeah, it's the first thing we see in the movie, and they're my drawings. Like, no one touched them, you know? Like, they use them as they are, and I was like, wow, they, that's so cool. Like, I hadn't... It, <laughs> there, it, there's not a whole lot that they have to do in rendering a 2D surface, yeah, you know? it doesn't happen very often because everything's always, like, touched by so many people. Yeah, like it's every, touched by lighting, it's touched by paint, yeah. Yeah, everyone. So then this is, like, one of the few things that I'm like, oh, I did that, and they didn't change it, and, like, they just kept it as is. And, like, it's the opening of the film, so I can say, like... I designed all of that, and it makes me feel really proud. Um, so I would say that makes me feel the most proud, but in general, like, I don't know. I can't really say that one thing was better than another because everything was, like, a learning hey, experience and very fun. All of the above is a suitable answer. Yeah, all so, of the above. So last question on Coco, and then I have one one after that. So Miguel and the Grand Harmony, mm-hmm. um, you, you've, you've got this uh, children's book that you, that you worked on. How did, how did that come together? Um, so Lee, uh, Lee, Lee, Adrian and Harley really wanted me to illustrate the book. So actually when I was an intern, Scott Tilly, who works in publishing, went to my art, to my review, my last review as an intern. And he's like, Hey, like you should illustrate books sometime. And I was like, I would love to, that would be awesome. And he's like, maybe the Coco one, huh? Ha ha ha. I was like, yeah, I would love that. Ha ha. And then I just went back to school and, like, didn't see him again for, like, three years. Even after I went back to Pixar, I just, like, wouldn't see him that often. Um, so then Lee, Darla, Adrian, and and Harley went to all these reviews about who would do which book and who would, like, work on what for, like, marketing and all and publishing and all that stuff. And then um, I think for a lot of illust- a lot of illustrators are hired uh, as, you know, freelance and they work in other branches at Disney. Uh, for other branches at for other Disney branches yeah. uh, but then yeah they're like oh Anna would be great to like do the Pixar book like you should ask her if she wants her to do it and like they just brought it up in a meeting and suggested it and then it just kind of stuck <laughs> so then Scott was like hey like your name came up in a meeting today how would you like to illustrate that book and I was like really like and then he's like, yeah, like, I didn't even suggest it. Like, they brought it up. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, we'd love to. And then, like, four months passed. So I was like, maybe they don't want me to do it anymore. Like, I hadn't heard anything. So I emailed him just to know. And he's like, oh, no, yeah. It just, like, takes a long time to, like, do all the paperwork and, like, get to that point. But, like, we definitely want you to do it. So, like, hang in there. So I did. And then a, a few months later, like, they were, like this is a script and like this is when you start and this is how long you get and you know everything else and I was so happy and it was great um I was actually given like way less time than I thought I only had about a month and a half or two months to do everything uh which is crazy because I had a quota of two pages a week include I mean a day two pages a day painted traditionally uh including weekends so I was working like Saturdays and Sundays till like 2 a.m. Um, and that was all on me because they offered help. But I'm like, no, like I want to have ownership, you know, over my book. And it's yeah. my first one. So I want to do it by myself and like, you know, be like, this is my project, um, which seems a little selfish. But I think when you're an artist, it's like you do want ownership of the over the few things you can get on. on you, you can have ownership over, mm-hmm. you know. So I was like. No, I want to do it myself. 
um, and then I just did it and I finished it barely like I finished it a week after the deadline and they were just like pushing it pushing it and being like is it ready and I was like oh I'm sick uh, you know but I was like still working on it and just like using as much time as I could to just like finish all the pages so I feel like a lot of the pages are really rushed and a lot of them kind of make me cringe a little bit. They're beautiful. I'm like, They're beautiful. Thank you. I was no, just I mean, like, you, I you wish talk, I had more time. You talked about when you were an intern looking at your work from when you were an intern and how it makes mm. you cringe. Yeah. The stuff that makes you cringe is is part of the tapestry of what makes uh, people like me like weep <laughs> and oh, cry no. after seeing a movie. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. Um, I don't know. It's just knowing that you can do better. And that's always yeah. like, oh, no, if I had had two more days to do this or you know I, I would have made this better but I was happy with the result in the end because I know that in the time that I was given I did what I could and I couldn't have done anymore so I was yeah I was just very happy once it came out I was like yeah this is like this feels really good and um, that has opened the doors for other book um, you know opportunities so hopefully I'll keep making them yeah so last one First, I have to say, long live Yuppie. Yeah, love, yeah, long live Yuppie. <laughs> so, so, uh, so you, you made a, a graduate uh, film, and it's about three minutes long. Um, the, the thing that has really come through, as I've gotten a better appreciation for what exactly you did on Coco, having seen Coco, um, is something that I see all over So Long Yuppie, uh, which is this very intense personal drive behind it. There's yeah. there's there's a lot of personality into it. it. It to the very small extent that I know you, it feels so very much so vividly like you. You know, I, I sat there watching you for talk for an hour, and it it feels very very much like you on the screen. Uh, you know, doing things the way that you want to in the distinct style that you have 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 scratched out for yourself. Did you have complete freedom to just you know do what you wanted? Did you have to fight at all for for how you you put that film together? No, funny story. Uh, well, CalArts is great about like giving, and thank you so much. That's mm. very sweet. Um, CalArts is great about giving us freedom to do whatever we want. You know, all they care about is that we finish our films and that we go to class. <laughs> but not even like there's no grades or anything. It's very self motivated, which is really cool. Um, so no one was pressuring me to do that. But I was kind of sad because after my internship. Um, during the year, my third year, I worked so hard on my portfolio that I completely ignored all my critical studies classes that I needed to graduate. So then, like, once I was on my fourth year, I came back, you know, from my Pixar internship, and I was like, I want to do all these things and, like, create all these things and make a film and, like, work on my portfolio harder for next year. And then I couldn't because I had all these classes that I had to take, you know, that were, like, required to graduate. So I think I took about like 20 something credits that semester, uh, my first semester. No, the whole year, I think. I don't, I don't even remember it. I, I took so many credits for critical studies and I just like, that's all I did. And I was kind of repressed with my art like the whole year just cause like I didn't have time to do it. And I considered doing another year, but it's so expensive. So I was like, no, that's not viable. <laughs> like that's not realistic. So I just like, you know, did my work and I, I finished all of those classes a month before graduation. So then I was like, well, it's kind of, I was so exhausted, right? But then I was like, it's kind of lame to graduate from film school without making a film my fourth year. So I just like, w didn't think about it very much. And like, 
we had been, you know, we have this like uh, grad, no, it's not called grad, film class where we, you know, of course, film workshop class every year. And we had it on our fourth year. And I was working with my, you know, all of my class, my, all of my classmates show their projects in this class. And then they're like, this is what we want to do. And we show progress every week. And I wasn't doing anything for that class. And they understood, but like, I always felt bad. And every time I saw how much progress my friends made, I would get really jealous and just like, oh man, that's so sad. Like, I wish I could do that too. Um, but then, so my, my, my last month of school, I was like, I'm going to make a film. And I just like wrote it really fast. And, you know, I had been thinking about this idea because I just thought it was so sad that like my sister gave her dog away <laughs> and then you know um, I just like wrote it out and I told my sister about it and she thought it was mean and I was like oh well you're mean you know <laughs> like you shouldn't have done that um, but anyway I just like wrote it out and like started you know doing all the art for it and that's what I started doing I might have started doing art for it before but I wasn't gonna make a film but then in the end, I just like pulled it together and like did all the animation. And I had a few friends help me out with some shots. And like one of my friends helped me edit it a little bit too. And like, you know, and these are all of my friends who had finished their films at the time. And they were just like feeling bad for me because I was like not sleeping. I, w I wouldn't sleep for the last week of school because I was working on that the whole time. So I think I did it in about like three weeks and a half. And then my parents showed up for graduation and I literally fell asleep on the table at the Thai restaurant that we were at because that was like the day that I turned in my film for for the parent screening. And I had just finished it that day. So I was like exhausted and I like kept falling asleep everywhere. But I felt good that I didn't. Like it made me happy because I'm like, that's what I'm here for. So I should make a film. Thanks again to Ana Ramirez for joining me for this episode of the show. Stay tuned. You are definitely going to want to hear the quick teaser that I've got for the next episode of the show. Before we go, I should mention that there are going to be links to Ana's Twitter feed uh, to purchase the Miguel and the Grand Harmony book that she worked on with the team there at Pixar. Thanks again to Mac Weldon and Text Expander for sponsoring this episode of the show. Go to MacWeldon.com, use the offer code ELECTRIC, save 20% off of your first order, throw out a drawer, and change your life. Text Expander, if you go to TextExpander.com slash podcast and select Electric Shadow, they're going to give you 20% off of your first year of Text Expander. Syncs all of your snippets across all different platforms of devices that you're using, so you don't have to go, oh, wait, am I using this? Am I using this? Don't worry. Text Expander is there for you and will save you time. That's one of my favorite features of the app. It actually keeps track of how much time you have saved by using it. And trust me, you are going to end the year finding yourself having saved many, 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 many minutes, hours, in my case, days. TextExpander.com slash podcast. Let them know that you heard about them on Electric Shadow. Now, I should also mention a little bit of housekeeping. It's been a while since you've heard this show. We're back, not just weekly, but twice weekly. ElectricShadow.net is now the home of all of my film writing, all of my film blogging. You will find posts when new episodes of the shows go up. There will be linked list style posts when I see something interesting that generally falls into the weird diaspora of screen-based media stuff that I'm interested in. You'll see full reviews of films. A Wrinkle in Time is going up before the weekend as it is about to release. 
Something else you should know about is that we are restarting our membership program here at ESN. If you go to the link in the show notes or you go to esn.fm slash membership, you can directly support the network, directly support this show, directly support the other shows on the network in a way that makes it so that we can keep doing this in the first place. Direct listener support is something that's very important. We love our sponsors and they're great. At the same time, we want to give back to you. Members are going to get early versions of upcoming episodes, exclusive content that isn't going to be heard anywhere else, and various other things that we're working on and planning. For now, if you love Electric Shadow, if you have loved any of the shows on the network and want to support it, that is the best way that you can. Let me give you an example. This Friday, we got a short, I guess you would say bonus episode length, second episode of the week that teases an upcoming new show on the network. Now, uh, I will turn it over to episode 47's guest. That's, that's what makes the fusion of the extraordinary and the ordinary. You know, there is a, an ancient river god, an elemental river god. It's not a monster, it's a river god that lives in the Amazon, and then you put him in your bathtub. That's the fusion of those two things is what makes it interesting. Is one of my favorite Disney princess movies now. Yes, it is, because the princess is not completely, uh, 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 doesn't depend on purity and perfection, you know? That's right. That is Academy Award-winning director Guillermo del Toro. He's going to be talking about The Shape of Water, and that is an excerpt from a much longer interview that is the debut of a brand new show coming to ESN this month. Coco is a great film. Viva Mexico! You can get it on disc and digital all over the world now. If you think I'm not Hispanic, I'm not Latinx, I can't relate to that. If you've had a family, if you've had people that you've loved, if you've had people that you've lost, if you have had people in your life that mean something to you, Coco is a movie for you. It's one of Pixar's best, and I stand behind that. Nobody paid me to say that. Thanks again to Mac Weldon and Text Expander. There are links in the show notes in case you forget. It is a movie that is worth staying through all the way to the end of the credits for. You get something meaningful, beautiful, and lovely. I don't know, maybe you stay to the end of the credits, the very bitter end of this episode of the show, and you'll get something fun, something extra, something stupid. I should also mention South by Southwest is about to descend on Austin, Texas. Expect a variety of episodes next week. I don't know what form they're going to take because I'm going to kind of play it by ear. But I am already confirmed to interview some really interesting people, including the legendary Dick Cavett. So stay tuned for South by Southwest coverage right here on Electric Shadow. Thanks for listening. Okay, that's all I have for you. Yeah. I have I have something stupid for you to entertain you because I appreciate you taking so much time with me. Yeah. I hope that you will remember me. Yeah. Though we have to say goodbye, remember me. Coco's so good it made me cry. For even if you're far away, I hold this interview in my heart. I sing a grateful song to you. I'm sad that we must part. Remember me. Safe travels going far. Remember me. Each time alguien te va a entrevistar. Know that I am with you, the only way that I can be. Until you, I see you, my friend, again. Remember me. Yeah, bravo. <laughs> I will. Re-